Hey, welcome to the Capital City Christian Podcast and to our series study through the book of 1 John, a verse-by-verse study through this great letter written by the Apostle John. So grab a Bible, grab a notepad, and let's dive in together. Well, hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome again to our Tuesday study. So glad you are here joining us as we continue our study through the great letter of 1 John, written by the Apostle John. Today, we have finally reached the final chapter of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So grab your Bible, um, grab a notepad, grab your fancy glass, of course, a tradition unlike any other here on the Tuesday Bible study. Uh, My fancy glass today is filled with some Crush Orange Soda Crush Style. Grab uh, whatever you need. We're going to spend the next 20 or so minutes walking through a few of these verses from 1 John chapter 5. Now, before we dive in, want to uh, make sure that we do our Tuesday Dad Joke of the Week, just to put a smile on your face. Um, as I've said before, dad jokes are some of my favorite. I have four little kids, and I love pulling dad jokes on them. This is one of my favorites for you today. Hopefully it puts a smile on your face. Here it is, Tuesday's Dad Joke of the Week. Did you hear about the scientist who was lab partners with a pot of boiling water? He had a very esteemed colleague. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I'll drink to that one. All righty, all righty. Here we go. First John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first four verses of First John chapter 5 uh, today. I want to read these verses um, completely, uh, all four uh, of these verses, and then we'll go back and we'll walk through a little bit. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to follow along. John says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. So here, as John is getting to the end of this letter that he's writing to uh, to a group of believers, encouraging them, teaching them about who God is, trying to protect them from some of the false teachers that were in the church and around the church in those days, he gets to the end of this letter. And again, he is just restating things that he's already talked about. He's driving home things that are of absolute Importance. Let's walk through uh, these phrases uh, in the first four verses and see if we can learn a little bit together. John starts out in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, whoever, remember last week we talked about this. This is the Greek term pas. It's always, uh, it's, it's constantly repeated in John's writings. And it means whoever, whoever. No one is excluded from John's black and white theological categories, Right? He's got these very black and white theological categories. You're a child of God or you're a child of the devil, 
right? You're a child of the light or you're a child of the darkness. He makes it so that there is this universal invitation to God to accept Jesus Christ. It's universal. It's for all people. He says, whoever believes, believes. This Greek word is um, the Greek word pisteo, which can be translated faith or trust or believe. Um, However, in 1 John, and um, uh, specifically in 1 John, it is often used in the sense of doctrinal content, right? Whoever believes certain doctrinal content. In the Gospels and in a lot of Paul's writings, the, the Greek word for belief or faith or trust is used for personal trust and commitment to someone, okay? Now, this is, this is not two opposing ideas. This is actually a holistic approach to understanding the gospel that the gospel is both a truth to be believed and a person to trust, right? It's a truth to be believed and it is a person to trust. Here, when John says whoever believes, he's talking about a doctrinal content. He's talking about truths to be believed. He said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, this is, again, the essence of the false teacher's error that were in the church in this day, centered around the person and the work of Jesus, who they were claiming was not fully divine, was not full deity. And so John says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the savior of the world, that he is the Messiah, that person is born of God. Now, we've heard this language before right? Born of God. This is one of John's favorite um, kind of illustrations and metaphors for talking about becoming a child of God. He's saying, you're born of God. You're born again. This phrase, born again, is in a a, a grammatical, uh, it's a grammatical phrase which emphasizes the culmination of an action produced by an outside agent, okay? So the culmination of an action that is produced by something outside of ourselves. And essentially what John is saying is that you are born of God, that God is this outside agent and he is producing within us a permanent state of being, that we get to be born of God. Now, one of the things this concept about being born of God is this idea that we have been, we have been included in God's family. And, and there's this idea that we have been adopted into God's family. Uh, John loved to use the phrase born again or born of God. The apostle Paul loved to use the concept and the analogy of adoption. They're both saying the same exact thing. But I want to take a moment um, today to talk a little bit about adoption in the Bible because I think I've, I've mentioned this a little bit, but I wanted to dive in a little bit deeper because I think when we understand adoption in a first century um, mindset, it makes it even more important and more beautiful as we think about how God has adopted us. Now, when we think about adoption in our Western mindset, in our cultural context, we normally think about a family adopting a child, right? 
Maybe it's a family who adopted um, an infant or they adopted a young kid. Maybe there's a family who they have, a, have been having a difficult time um, having a biological child. And so they have gone down the path of adoption to, to grow their family. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I have an adopted um, brother. My brother Russell is an adopted uh, brother in our family. I, I love adoption. I think it's incredible and I think it's such a great thing. And it's a great thing for Christians to do. Um, um, in our world today, yeah, I think it's a way to care for uh, children and orphans in the world. But adoption in the uh, Greco-Roman world was not that at all. Okay, Don't think about adopting a little cute baby to add to your family. Adoption in first century Greco-Roman world was actually a legal act and, and there were multiple types of adoption in, in first century Greco-Roman world. And each of these types of adoption were really centered around the uh, ability that you had to preserve your estate. That's really what it was all about, what adoption was all about. So there's three types. Number one, there's called intro or inter vivos adoption, which occurred when somebody adopted a son during his lifetime. There was another adoption called testamentary adoption, which involved designating an adopted son in a will. So in your will, you would say, okay, I want to adopt this individual and then my estate would move to them. And then thirdly, if a man died without appointing a legitimate heir, the next of kin's offspring would be adopted into the third type called posthumous adoption. But all of it was centered around making sure that your estate could be passed down to somebody else. And so what would happen is the most, uh, the most normal type of adoption was somebody would adopt a male who was entering into this, in a stage of adulthood, that they would be responsible, that they would be able to take care of the estate that was passed down to them. In the Roman world, first century Roman world, social standing, whether you were a slave or free or male or female, determined who had the right to adopt and who could be adopted under what terms. Um, like in Greece, um, women were virtually removed from the system in first century Greco-Roman culture. Um, women could not be legally adopted because they were under the guardianship of their male relatives. Um, they were also adopted at a far lower rate than males since the usual, again, the usual reason for adoption was to provide an heir and women during this time were restricted from inheritance rights. And so, uh, so normally adoption would be of somebody who had at least reached the age of puberty and, and had shown responsibility into their um, adulthood. So adopting someone of age had the advantage that the person who was adopting somebody had the opportunity to engage with them, learn about their business savvy, learn about their responsibility, learn about their kind of personal character before making a final choice to adopt that person. Right? Somebody who had already proven abilities for managing a household would be a good investment as an heir. And for this reason, young men who at least reached the age of puberty or adulthood were way more likely to be adopted than infants in um, first century Greco-Roman world. So when the Apostle Paul says that we are adopted by God, when John talks about how we are born of God, we're born again, we're, we're brought into God's family, this is the picture we ought to think about. We ought to think about how God 
has chosen us to manage his estate. God has chosen us to be an heir of his estate, and he has brought us in to his family. Now, here's the great thing about adoption in the first century Roman world. In the first century Roman world, once you signed on the dotted line and you adopted somebody, there was nothing, nothing that could happen that could change that legal binding standing of you being adopted by this individual. Nothing could change the fact that you were now an heir of whoever adopted you. Nothing could change it. That's why Paul often writes about how nothing can separate us from the love of God because we've been adopted. And once you've been adopted, you are always a child of God. You are always born of God. And so John here writes, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, God has adopted you, or you are brought in to the family of God. And then he says this in verse one, he is born of God and whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Now this phrase probably refers to Jesus. I, I think it refers to Jesus because um, of the singular usage and the tense that it is written in um, and because contextually the error again of the false teachers was an attempt to separate theologically Jesus from the father, right? That's why John is continually equating Jesus with the father. Now, the only other option is that it could be a recurring theme um, as we need to love one another, that, that, the, that, the, the, that those who love the father loves the child born of him. Maybe it's other children born of God. So we need to love our fellow believers. But I think it, it means Jesus. We are, we are born of God and we love Jesus, because Jesus is God. So, verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. I love this. You just look at verse 2 and verse 3. It repeats the major themes of 1 John. Love. God's love how it is expressed by ongoing love and obedience, okay? Notice in these verses, the evidences of true believers. The evidences of true believers. True believers love God. They love Jesus. They love other believers. They love God's children. They obey. They obey and observe the commands of Jesus, and they overcome. They overcome the world, for this is the love of God, he says in verse three. God's love is, it's not sentimental, but it is action-oriented, both on God's part and on our part. Obedience is crucial, right? In the Gospel of John, Jesus said these words, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 15 verse 10, Jesus says again, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. Now, if you think that this concept of obeying the commands of Jesus just seems too daunting, maybe you struggle with following the commands of Jesus, John gives us some encouragement. Look what he says. He says, for this is the love of God, verse three, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I love that. His commandments are not 
burdensome. Yes, the new covenant, a relationship with Jesus, has certain responsibilities, okay? Has certain responsibilities. But guess what? We do not carry those responsibilities alone. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is used in stark contrast to the rabbis of the days of Jesus, the Jewish leaders who used yoke for laws. Matthew chapter 23 verse 4 says, they, speaking of religious leaders, tie up heavy cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Okay, in contrast to the laws and to the burden, the weight that has been put on these people by Jewish religious leaders, Jesus says, no, 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 I have come and my yoke is light. My commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because my commandments and our ability to obey the teachings of Jesus flow out of our relationship with God. They do not form the basis of that relationship, right? The basis of our relationship with God is that we have been saved by God's grace, not by human performance or merit. The Bible is very clear on that. But Jesus' guidelines are different from the false teachers who had all kinds of rules or too many rules. Jesus is different. Jesus says, listen, I am going to help you carry the burden. I am going to help you carry this load. I'm going to help you obey. And, and one of the main re- ways that God helps us obey and follow Jesus and abide with Jesus is because he sent us his Holy Spirit. Because we have confidence that we are adopted as children of God and God has given us every resource, everything we need in order to walk in holiness and in order to follow the commands of Jesus. His commands are not burdensome. And if you feel like it is a burden to obey the commands of Jesus, then that is an indicator that you don't understand what it means to be in in a relationship with Jesus. I have joy in my life. I have joy in my life when I get to follow and obey the teachings of Jesus. Because number one, it's out of an overflow of love for Jesus in my life because of the love that he's poured into into me. I, I am unworthy of the love of God. I am unworthy of the forgiveness of God, yet God has given it to me even when I don't deserve it. And so out of my love for God, I want to walk in joyful obedience. But not only that, is when I walk in joyful obedience, my life is blessed. See, I believe that Jesus' way is the best way to live your life. Following Jesus and obeying the teachings of Jesus is the best way to live your life. And when I obey Jesus, I am blessed in my life. Why wouldn't I want to walk with joy in following and obeying the commands of Jesus? His commands are not burdensome. They actually free you in your life. And that's what John is getting at. Verse four, let's end with verse four. He says, For whatever is born of God, whatever, whoever it is, whatever is born of God 
has overcome the world. And again, we're just saying things that we've already said because John is just repeating these um, ideas. He's repeating uh, some of these same themes and topics that he has been talking about. They overcome the world. Now, when John uses the term world, remember again, he is talking about human society that is organized and functioning apart from God. And if you organize your life and if you function apart from God, you will find yourself and you will end up in chains and in slavery. You'll end up with brokenness. You'll end up with all kinds of busted relationships. You will go down the path of darkness. But John says, whoever, whoever is born of God has actually overcome the world. You have overcome the rebellion the essence of the fall in Genesis chapter three, you have overcome that and you're not functioning apart from God. You're functioning with God because you're abiding in God through Jesus. He says, whoever's born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. That word victory, I love that word. Again, it's that Greek word, nikos. It's where we get our English word, Nike. Um, Nike is actually a Greek word and Nike was the Greek um, name for the goddess of victory. Okay, that's why Nike, the Nike swoosh, right? Um, you know, they're so popular today. That Nike is the goddess of victory for the Greeks. And the Greek word nikos is the Greek word victory. Okay, you have victory over the world. Believers are overcomers and we continue to be overcomers not because of anything that we do, but we have victory through Jesus who had victory over the world. Jesus had victory over sin. Jesus had victory over death. Jesus had victory over the world. And vicariously, we have victory through Jesus. We are overcomers because we abide with Jesus. So as we walk in this life, as we overcome temptation, as we follow the commands of Jesus, we have to remember that we are living from a place of victory. We're not striving for victory victory, but we are living from a place of victory. And then John uses an interesting, interesting word. He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith. Now I want you to circle that word in your Bible, our faith, because this is the only time in all of John's writings that he uses the noun form for the word faith. And why I think John uses the noun form for faith here is because possibly John was worried about an overemphasis on correct theology versus daily Christ-likeness, okay? The victory that has overcome the world is not only correct theology and what we believe about Jesus, but the victory that Oh, helps us overcome the world, also is our faith. It's our faith brings victory because our faith is linked to Jesus's victory. Our faith is linked to a, this new relationship that we have with God through Jesus. And our faith is linked to the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within us. Yes, correct theology matters, correct doctrine matters, but it matters just as much as correct living and living out our faith and abiding with Jesus and observing and keeping his commandments. And remember, his commandments are not burdensome, but we have victory through Jesus and through our faith. There it is, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 
through four. I hope these verses encourage you. I hope they give you some things to think about. I hope you'll keep studying, keep learning, keep growing, and keep abiding with Jesus. Thanks so much for being with us today, for listening, for watching, wherever you're consuming this content. Um, Next week, we're going to continue with verse five. Hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful Tuesday afternoon, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you here next week. this content serves as a catalyst towards spiritual growth in your own life. If you want to support this podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share it. This helps create more exposure and allows us to include as many people as possible into this community. Thanks for joining us and for being a part of the Capital City Christian Podcast.